Hello and welcome to the Voices from the Land, Indigenous Peoples Talk Language Revitalization Podcast, produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Tansi, I'm your host, Gordon Spence from the Tasquia Cree Nation in Northern Manitoba. I'm also the Indigenous Community Facilitator for the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Today I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Andrew Bomberry, a Mohawk from the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. Andrew is a curriculum developer, writer, researcher, and teacher. Welcome. As part of the Legacy Hope Foundation's mandate and mission, we are working to promote indigenous language revitalization as a critical step in the healing of generations of survivors and their communities from colonial policies and practices which rob indigenous peoples of their first language. The goal of this project is to, help, is to help support Indigenous language reclamation through interviews with Indigenous language teaching experts. The target audience for this work are Indigenous language teachers. We hope that by sharing accessible podcasts of interviews with people doing interesting and relevant work on language promotion, we can help facilitate the sharing of knowledge, ideas, and practices that are relevant to the teaching and learning of Indigenous languages. While there are many contexts that are particular to specific nations and dialects within their own regions, we are hoping to provide additional tools and a platform that can help with indigenous language revitalization, despite the many differences. Today, we have uh, two guests uh, with us, joining us on this podcast. The first one is Professor Shirley Ida Williams, uh, she's got uh, several degrees. Uh, she's from the Wikwimikong First Nation, residing in Peterborough now, taught, Trent, taught at Trent University, language and culture for 18 years and 18 summers at Lakehead University through the Native Languages Instructional Program. She has taught mythology, orthography, Anishinaabe literature for children, and has lectured in many colleges, universities, and communities on language. Self-publisher on Anishinaabe Mowin, she has published many language books, texts, and stories. She is a residential school survivor, was part of the Where Are the Children document, received her honorary doctorate degree from the University of Toronto in 2017. Our second guest today is Liz Usawamik. She is of the Anishinaabe and Odawa Nation and is originally from Wikimikong and Seated First Nation located on Manitoulin Island. She is of the Beaver Clan. She is currently teaching Anishinaabe Moin at Trent University. Liz utilizes indigenous knowledge and teaching songs and ceremonies as a core component in her teaching methods and community work facilitating various language immersion programs and cultural teachings within First Nations communities. She is in her sixth year as president for of, of the Anishinaabe Take Incorporated. So maybe I'll start with asking you uh, about what you do 
now and where you teach your, your community and, in, and your indigenous language that you teach. Maybe we can start off with you, Shirley. Okay. Aboso. Uh, I came from Wakomakom, Occident Preserve. I'm now residing in Peterborough. I came to school here at Trent University, and this is where I, I started. And uh, they knew that I was a fluent speaker, and they gave me a job, so I stayed here. Uh, I, I have taught the language for 18, year 18 years here, and in 2004, I retired but not fully retired. I still teach uh, courses part-time on internet. I do research words and uh, I'm a transcriber or interpreter um, for many of the documents. I just finished one now for the government for Health Canada. Also taught in a native language instruction program for 18 summers where students came to learn how to read and write. Thank you. Uh, Liz? Miigwech. My, uh, my spirit name is Ginu Miigwan. We kwem kong minidom nising don jaba. Mampi Hastings Miigwan dida, dokinomage mampi nikya, chikinomage gamagong. Nishnabemwen dokinomok, ekinomag zajik. Um, so my English name is Liz Ozalmik, and my spirit name is Ginumiwan, which means uh, golden eagle feather. And I am originally from Wequemkong on Manitoulin Island, and I am Anishinaabe in Odawa. I am related to the bear, but I'm of the beaver clan. And I'm right now I'm teaching at um, Trent University teaching um, Introduction to Anishinaabemwen and also Intermediate Anishinaabemwen. Uh, we do teach also uh, a class at Fleming College in the evening. And I, uh, you know, for the past over 25 years, I was teaching elementary and secondary level, probably for the past 12 years, secondary level, but I started off teaching at the elementary level and then uh, worked at the daycare and high school and college and now the university. And so we, uh, back home, we started a Nguyenugamik, which is a language house. So I've been helping out with that. Uh, it started uh, in August and it's still continuing today. And we have language um, every day, seven days a week, and we usually have three sessions from nine till noon, noon till three, and five to eight. So when we started uh, that back in August, you know, I helped out with that, and I did a lot of recording with uh, speakers, language speakers, and I, uh, I enjoyed doing that, you know, helping out where I, you know, could, and so, um, you know, incorporating you know, language and, you know, ceremony in my teachings, um, you know, wherever I do teach and doing, uh, you know, a language immersion camps also. Um, you know, I graduated from Lakehead University, you know, through the language program there. And so, and that's how I became a, a language teacher. And so, um, Jimmy Wetch. Our listeners may not know what 
uh, you mean when you 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 say Anishinaabe Muin? Maybe you can just explain what that is. So Anishinaabe Muin is uh, is a language, and so we have three dialects, and we speak um, we speak Ojibwe, Odawa, and Bodwarmi, and so it's a a word that is a language, and so. Um, and so we say Anishinaabemwin. So it refers to Ojibwe, Odawa, or Budawatomi. And so that is what I, when I refer to Anishinaabemwin. So it's referring to um, a language. Okay. Okay, good. Thank you. My next question is uh, to Shirley. Uh, can you talk about the grammar structure of the language you teach and how important or challenging that is? Uh, it has been challenging because we never had to do writing, reading and writing in our, it's always been taught verbally. Uh, we didn't have a writing system, although we did by symbols, by writing. Uh, that's how we learned. But later on, when the language came in 1974, there was a request by the Ministry of Ed that we had to do reading and writing. What happened was they adopted the Jesuit writing, which is the phonetic writing system, the alphabet that they borrowed from the English letters, and it was not very consistent. So when we started the program at Lakehead in 1986, uh, they decided that we should have our own. And there was a, a linguist who had been doing research on Algonquin language. Algonquin language is the mother language. And uh, of the... Um, Algonquin language are the subdivisions of uh, other Oji Cree, like Oji Cree, Cree, um, Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi. All of those, we can understand each other. Uh, there's others, some in Quebec, Mi'kmaq, and uh, Scapi, and that's what the linguists say. When we came to 1986, he said, here's the letters that I have researched. And these are the sounds, they belong to you. Uh, if you want to use them, here's the writing system. And he presented that. And it really took off among the teachers that were learning how to read and write from the language program. And so that was uh, one that was adopted by many of the teachers. But it wasn't really adopted by um, generally of Ontario. There's still, still some people who still use the alphabet, uh, the phonetic writing system, because that's the one. Actually, the, when we started, the Jesuits wanted us to adopt their writing system, which came from Greek. The teachers didn't really uh, condone to that. They said we should have our own. So this is much easier, the double vowel writing system. So that's how we adopted it. The writing system is where there's, uh, I wish I could show you, uh, uh, to tell you that we have letters, uh, we have really good sounds. Uh, the two unique sounds that we have are the nasal sounds, words that we have that comes through the nose, uh, like Kigong, Josh, Kwezes, Benoji. Those are the nasal sounds. But well, uh, what shows us when you do the writing is there's an N, A S, H N, or H N, N H or H N. Uh, the last one we hardly ever see it, but the first three we normally see it. 
the second unique uh, sound that we have is the glottal stop with the lungus call, which is the catch in the throat. The sound that comes from way down here. So when they say the word, the air stops here, and that's why they call it glottal stop. And then it come, then we sound it out. Uh, those are the, the letters. There are some sounds we don't have. F, L, Q, R, U, V, and X. We don't have those sounds. So when we went to residential school, we used to say, when they used to teach us father, we say potter <laughs> or mother, we, because we didn't have those uh, R sounds. So it was difficult for us to say them. So in the uh, syllable chart that, uh, that was given to us, we have three short vowels and three and four long vowels. A, I, O are the short vowels. Double A, double I, double O, and E are the long vowels that we have. So there's a chart of the letters that uh, we have. And then while we were there, some of the older ladies, they said, we should have an alphabetic, uh, alphabetic song, just like ABC, like in English, but we don't, we didn't have one. So the research was on them. They said they could develop one. So what they did is they found a tune because they were singers in church choir that they belonged to. So it was easier for them to come up with a tune. And the tune is really um, uh, lively. And we call it the vowel song, Kidwasam. And it was made by Irene Snake from Rama Reserve. And uh, there's choirs that when, when we put it there, there's uh, letters. If you're a guitar player, those are the tunes that you have. So I'm just going to use one, ba, bi, bo, be, ba, be, bo. Those are the uh, letters that we have. Um, it is a challenge to, um, to, to teach the sounds because uh, we're so ingrained with the English letters and the sounds that it's hard for the students, if they're not speakers, uh, to, or even the ones that are fluent speakers, to get the sounds right and, and letters to write. I have taught uh, immersion program and there was uh, five ladies that came from Whitewell Island and I taught it on a weekend. So they used to leave early or midnight on um, Thursday night and then be there for nine o'clock or 8.30 for a class. And there was a lady in there, she was 70, more than 70 years old. And she never learned how to read and write. One day as we were practicing saying those words, she says, oh my, I could read. I could sound out the words. And it was so beautiful to watch her discover herself, her learning, and which is very, very, very good. In our letters that we have, we have in teaching, the, we have many nouns and verbs and these two they must match and agree like one noun something that's alive inanimate uh, something that's not alive example would be that's not alive is a chair uh, animate would be which is a chicken or nene or kwe. those are all animates so they must match and agree so it's that's kind of hard to to teach we know the words in that if you're a fluent speaker you know the words in that but it's still difficult. 
And so we have four unique uh, verbs that we have. We have um, a subject and an object, and uh, they call animate intransitive. The second one, inanimate intransitive, transitive animate, and transitive inanimate. So the four words that we have one word, abadise, is inanimate. Que uh, abadise, the woman is useful. Abadut, wakakut abadut, means the axe is useful. Abjian is, uh, I really don't like this word, but um, it's a word that we have. So you could say, ktagan, abin ktagan, and abjian bishkokshin. You can see that uh, the uh, farmer uses the horses uh, to pull. And transitive inanimate is dabjitun. Dabjitun. Uh, it is useful to use something. Dabjitun. Sasukwan. Kwe dabjitun. Sasukwan. Shapkisgading. Meaning that the woman uses uh, the frying pan on a stove. So those are the. Um, four kinds of verbs that we have. So usually I teach that on the fourth level of the, the course, but I introduce usually introduce it on the third one. Liz, did you want to add anything to that? I just wanted to say uh, the language structure in Nishnabiman, it teaches us, uh, it's a way of learning. Uh, we learn orally through, you know, listening to the sounds that we use. And so at a young age, um, you know, we we learned through, um, you know, we, we didn't have, a you know, a structured way. And so we just learned, you know, because we were spoke to every day. And but today, you know, a lot of um, Indigenous people don't have the language. So it is, you know, it is hard, um, you know, because we, you know, the parents don't speak the language. And then so now when the students, you know, that uh, learn the language in the public schools, it's it's hard for them to retain the language, you know, because their parents don't speak the language. So, you know, it's something that we, you know, we we need to teach our children. And and same with the parents, you know, to continue to, uh, you know, to learn with them because, um, you know, because they're not, um, if they don't have the language at home, it's it, it makes it harder, you know, for the students to learn. Do you, uh, just a follow up to that, uh, you're teaching, uh, you said fourth level or something. Sure, sure, you made reference to the fourth level. I guess that'd be the higher level of of the language. Uh, are you finding that uh, apart from people, new people that are trying to learn the language, are you finding that uh, people that already speak Ojibwe, for example, do you find that they're coming back to learn, to kind of um, improve on their, their speaking of their, their language? Yeah, we've had a few Nishnabe students come to the university to get their BA or they're going on to a teacher's aid program. So they come to take the, the language program as a grammar structure uh, so they can either go and teach if they're fluent speakers, but uh, if they're not fluent speakers, they still want to know. Uh, so first level is just a basic, second level is intimate, which is Liz, is what she's teaching now, where we teach counting, family, and things like that. And the fourth level is all of these things and storytelling. Uh, the students really like storytelling, and we do have uh, 
people who have gone on to university who are fluent speakers. One, one for example, is now a chair from Duluth, Michigan, I think it is. Uh, he came from Wasoxing, and when he came, he didn't know any of the language at all, but he became fluent. He's now fluent. There's another one. Uh, he came from Okomakong, and uh, he was a fluent speaker, but he didn't know the names of trees and fish and things like that. So he really thanked me when he left that this is what he learned, and he was a uh, uh, Board of Education. Uh, director uh, for 10, 12 years, I think, and he's now teaching in Sudbury. So he learned a lot of things, and what he's teaching now, he's using some of the words that he learned, uh, you know, for young kids and that. Those are just a few examples. Zooming meetings are becoming the norm now since this COVID pandemic, and so is learning, teaching various subjects, including teaching students and academics music and learning languages and so on. Tell us about your experiences about teaching an indigenous language online. How effective has this been for you? Yes, I teach the internet uh, language every spring. And what we, when we, five, six years ago, I guess I started, and we pre-recorded it. When we pre-recorded it, I used uh, pictures, flashcards in order to teach and to show and oftentimes I would use my signs, you know, I had props with me. And I would say, for example, for Nin, Keen, and you, teachings, you know. So I would say my name is, your name is, her name is. So things like that. So I use props. We, we use a lot of props. Singing is one of the best uh, methods in order to teach. And storytelling. Uh, storytelling is uh, you write on the board. You start with a word, and the students who have learned uh, some of the words, they would uh, use something else, you know. I would start, I saw, you saw what? So and they would write a noun, I saw uh, when, yesterday. So those kinds of things that we did in order to um, entertain the students and also teaching the language, and also bingo was another one that uh, we taught. So uh, instead of bingo with numbers, uh, we taught words in there so they would cover. And they actually had prizes for them to win. So um, for prizes, we had uh, internet. So uh, if they won, we would send them uh, by mail later on. So um, I had technical, we had technical problems on the first game. We had to find a unique program that fits as to how we were teaching, like uh, like board now, and um, for assignments and things like that, they have to learn how to uh, what do you call it? Uh, videotape what they've learned, like a little story, short little story, about three to five minutes. That's uh, the, the way the way our teaching students and academic. Music, they love music, so singing, singing the alphabet song was really good and some other songs. Those are some of my experiences, but Liz has a lot more experiences on the um, internet, especially this year, so I'll let her uh, talk about her experiences. So just to, uh, to add to that, um, for myself, um, when we began learning, you know, these different uh, platforms, 
it was difficult for me because I'm like, I'm old school. So it took me a while to get used to it. It's getting easier as I'm learning as I go through it. Uh, it's a bit challenging and it's hard when teaching in the Shinabe Moen. I find um, it does work, although it does work when, um, you know, when we are teaching because we are able to either pre-record or in my lessons, uh, I, you know, record my lessons and therefore the students can review, you know, what is um what is being taught and so they're able to go back to that that video lesson and then they can get the correct pronunciations of uh, the lessons that I teach in that given day so you know it has its up and down like you know um, but I do prefer like uh, you know teaching in class because you're able to do a lot more in class as opposed to uh, the zoom uh, what are some of the best practices and teaching methods you'd like to share or help that would help other Indigenous language teachers be successful in teaching their Indigenous language? For university, we had to do reading and writing, listening and speaking. So best practice is to repeat repetitive words that you are teaching or repetitive sentences that you are teaching. One of the things that I did is I would say it three times, you know, or sentence I would say first, and I would say I don't I didn't speak any English. Um, they left the English outside the door, and they come in, and they knew that, and so I would begin to, to hear the sounds in that, and I would teach them, and then on the fourth one is when I say it, they had to repeat it, and we repeat it in many different ways of uh, of the word. Um, then they would say it themselves. I would say it, and then they would say it. And then we would practice, and they would say it. Kintam, you know, your turn, and so on. Uh, if I had a whole class, like 13 or 15 of them. Reading is, uh, stories, like stories. Uh, I wrote a word, and then they would uh, fill it in the blanks and things like that. They use assignments, like crossword puzzles. They also like to um, to hear the songs also. Uh, there are a lot more. When I began, there was no materials whatsoever. So we had to begin right from scratch and thank God for the uh, Microsoft Word or uh, computers. I know I didn't know how to work any computer until 1992. Uh, that's when I had to learn. So uh, they become easier. We had to use... Uh, uh, pictures, what we we're going to talk about. We got pictures from magazines or wherever, and we took our own pictures in that. When I started, I saw an eagle one time, and I really wanted to teach, you know, the parts of the eagle, uh, you know, the uh, the beak, the mouth, the eyes, and things like that, uh, the whole of the uh, the bird. Well, I wrote to the uh, person who took that picture. It was through the educational system. And I asked, and you know what they said? We would, if you want to use it, we would like $5,000. Well, we didn't have $5,000, so I, at least I didn't have it in my program. So I thought, I'm going to go and learn how to take pictures. So I went to Sir Sanford Filling College to go and take uh, photography. So I went out to go and take pictures of my own in, in order to help me teach the language where I could... Um, use many like uh, taking pictures of the orange and apple 
um, went to grocery stores or bought bought my own to take pictures and that to use as a teaching material. So my best practices and uh, methods when teaching Anishinaabe when is often through uh, songs, gestures, fun and games. Uh, when we in, engage with the students this way, they are apt to learning the language quicker. Also, we do land-based uh, land learning when outdoors, um, as opposed to, you know, indoor class. Students seem to retain the language when seeing objects and relating to any outdoor activity. I also incorporate um, culture when I teach and and as the two work hand in hand. Um, so teaching culture is very important uh, as it is our identity as a, an indigenous person. And so um, at the university, I always include at least two or three classes that, that I have. We have a TP on campus. And so I you know, have at least two or three um, classes out there and um and the students really enjoy it they say that's their best you know um you know something that they remember is having you know the classes out there and because we have you know a fire and then we you know we explain you know the teachings about the you know a sacred fire and um you know we smudge out there and we do all kinds of activities while we're while we're um in the teepee and sometimes i um what we do is we make you know cedar tea and one time we, you know, we just cooked, um, you know, outdoors as well. And we made some, some fry bread and, you know, so it was amazing, you know, to see the students that, you know, that really enjoyed, you know, being out there. And, but it was hard when, when our, you know, when my class had, you know, when it was a full class over 60 students that we couldn't all fit in there. So I had to break, you know, the two classes and, you know, split them up to have that class. But otherwise, um, you know, when we at the beginning of the year, we do another class out there and we include uh, storytelling. And so uh, usually I invite an elder to come out and and they share, you know, stories as, it, you know, uh, wintertime, they, you know, they share stories and legends. And so we do that at the beginning of the, the year. So when my daughter was young, I had to go back to work, and so I, uh, I had to leave her at the, at the daycare. And so, at the daycare where she was at, I um, there wasn't too much language there. And so, what I did was I um, recorded myself. So I made a CD that that went with her. That you know that she was able to learn, you know, through through song. And so uh, that was something that I had to do uh, because she, um, there wasn't a language speaker there every day. So they only had language um, maybe twice a week. And so therefore, um, you know, doing that CD really helped her, you know. And so she, today she, you know, she sings uh, these songs and, and it's, you know, a good teaching tool for um, you know, for people to, uh, you know, to learn that way. Because language and culture, you know, I heard a lot of parents say, I want my children to learn the language, but I don't want them to learn the culture. Uh, you know why that is here. So, but these two, as a language speaker, influence speaker, they do go hand in hand. They, they're together. They can't teach one or the other. 
An example would be um, uh, Macogasis, which is February. Why do we call it uh, Macogasis? This is when the bear turns over and it kicks the uh, cubs out. If they go out and play, that means it's going to be early spring. If they run back in again, it's going to be another cold winter. So those are the culture stories beyond what that word is. So that's really important. That's language and culture together. Language, uh, culture is the way we live. Language is uh, identified by how we speak or to describe what we are seeing and feeling. So we have nouns, verbs, and adjectives, and so many English words that pertain to our own language, which we are just discovering uh, to fit the academic ways and that, you know. We've never had to do this, but we are doing it. And there are now teachers and fluent speakers who are getting education in order to do this, so. Yes, a good point. I was just gonna say that, like, uh language and culture to me go hand in hand with one you're missing the other and uh together yeah. as a whole you, you you get the whole you get the whole picture you you know you you, you understand more about the culture there's people and there's places in the cities and towns that teach and talk about uh native culture but unless you know the language you don't really have a full understanding of the culture and the way the people are that's yeah. uh that's just my personal feelings on it. And mm -hmm. uh, and there's another side to that too, that uh, there's the humorous side of, uh, of a language, of our languages are, are, are different languages across Canada. The one commonality I find is that there's always um, humor in, in, our in our native languages. And mm -hmm. uh, it's part of, uh, I guess it's, a, it's kind of like a survival mechanism you know it makes us happy you know to tell jokes and tease each other and uh, that's just kind of who we are and that's part of our culture i just wanted to ask liz or, or shirley uh trent university used to have a workshop a cultural workshop do they still have that uh, i think it used to be in the spring uh it was a weekend thing where you can go to different workshops throughout the day we just finished one we had oh. it on we had it on zoom just this past weekend we had it on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which we call the Elders Conference. Right. Yeah, it was it was the first time that we did it because we've always had it, you know, um, in the open. Yeah. Uh, people came and and they would make a weekend out of it. This time we can because of the COVID, and so we found ways and means. We didn't really know how it was going to turn out, but it really turned out really good. They had really good speakers. The only thing that happened was uh, uh, you're only given 15 minutes to speak and because of other speakers. So you really have to time yourself. You really have to be disciplined. So you don't take somebody else's time. Yeah, I found that very interesting. Uh, absolutely beautiful weekend I spent in Trent, uh, Peterborough with a group of people from the uh, Odawa Friendship Center. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, um, and that's when I first heard about uh, Tom Porter, the uh, yeah. from yeah. the Kosasne speak. What a wonderful yeah. speaker, a great person who, uh, who, you know, really taught me something just in that one hour when he talked about his culture and the history of his, his people. So I found it to be a fascinating weekend of learning different cultures, not just, you know, just one, yeah. many, many cultures. 
you mentioned that you're involved in an annual language conference through an organization called Anishinaabe Muin and how that they support indigenous language teachers, new learners, elders, and indigenous language speakers. Can you talk a bit about that in a little bit more detail? I'm one of the founders of uh, the Anishinaabe Muintek. Uh, you know that the language was taught from 1974 only for 10 minutes and AFN put in a conference in 1983 which I attended in Ottawa and at that time they were the Ministry of Ed was looking for to have a common writing system which didn't go very well because we're all from different speakers different dialects right across Canada uh, so in Ontario we have 13 languages and the year before that we came to get together uh, to discuss about the how we should develop the writing system and how we're going to teach it in the school and it is that we began to teach the language uh, not just for 10 minutes but we finally got one hour to teach it and one of the things that they were arguing about is uh, the different dialects and how we're going to solve that uh, one of the elders got up at that time, which really had profound effect on me, uh, Fred, Fred Wheatley, and he said, you know, you, we are so lucky to have our language taught in a school system, which, would, which never happened for the last 500 years. If we are going to argue, you know, this should not be or should be, or, you know, a system. Well, for God's sakes, adopt the language that uh, that's that's there in front of you. Because if we're going to argue for the next 500 years, surely, for goodness, we are going to forget about the language. So that's what he said at that time. So in 1994, then, uh, many of the teachers were already teaching in a school system. They were really having a difficult time. And they were coming to us as teachers that um, they had. And us teachers that were there, what could we do? So we did the research uh, as to, because a lot of what we were hearing was a lot of negative things. Like, I don't want to learn language. I'm an Indian, I don't have to learn it. I don't like learning the language because they're homemade materials. Uh, you know, it's, it's a shame. And we were saying, how can we turn that, those negative remarks to positive remarks? How can we have our own people admire our own language? And so we came together, uh, perhaps in 1993, but in 1994, teachers, uh, interested people, elders and teachers and linguists all came together uh, for a conference. Uh, because the, the, the conference, the ATEC, was to speak for the people, to teach them, you know, how the language is, what they could teach, how they can teach, whatever they want to learn. So we had fluent speakers come in, and not just old Anishinaabe people, uh, those that speak Anishinaabe when, but we had Cree, other Erika people, Delaware, and things like that as speakers to talk about their own languages. So uh, the organization that we started was that we had to incorporate so that we can get funding uh, because we need money. But when we first started, uh, 
I remember uh, three of us driving from up here in Toronto, picking up people because they didn't have a ride, and we bought bread and butter and bologna, bologna, and that's what we would eat at the hotel. One of us that were working, we could help each other and pay one hotel, and then we could all fit in there, just like little pigs, uh, in order to survive, to have the language survive. So that's what how we got started. We made the, uh, uh, the Schnabelman Incorporation. We needed money for travel and teachers, speakers coming to us. What the, they were experiencing was there was no classrooms and not knowing what to teach, no curriculum to follow uh, or ready-made lessons. We had to make our own lessons to use. So this is where we taught them how to make things, what they could do in order to help them to teach the language. So I'll let Liz take over from here. So just uh, just to add to that, um, so I've been president over the last six years, and so um, it's been it's been an honor to to sit on the board board of directors with the elder senate and youth representatives, and so our organization is uh, dedicated to provo uh, pro promoting language, teaching, and developing a Nishnabewan language, and cultural pride. We gather as uh, leadership, elders, teachers, friends, uh, new learners and community partners. You know, it's something that we, um, you know, we gather to, uh, you know, to open dialogue to discuss initiatives and issues facing our um, nation's languages and culture. So we believe that our diverse and dynamic group of speakers and panelists provide that in-depth insight as well as actionable and practical tools and engagement and methods that have worked in their communities so we share you know with each other as you know as people you know when we come together i know a lot of people that attend our conference you know they get so much out of it you know and you know we hold them in Sault Ste. Marie you know for forever and you know this past year we uh we we are doing it through zooms so and so we're doing that uh this year uh, which is tomorrow March 26 and 27 so we're gonna just try it out see how it goes and because we had to cancel our 26th annual conference last year and the reason why we chose you know Sault Ste. Marie is we have um, you know all kinds of Nishnabek from all over you know Canada and the United States so they travel so it's kind of like a central place you know because we celebrate uh, on March 31st so we try and do that you know close to that day to um, to celebrate that Indigenous Language Day, and so um, just to just to add to that, uh, I know over the years because I've followed the issues of languages and uh, in the political arena. Also, AFN uh, did a huge conference in 1989, and we all went. And at that time, it was George Erasmus that was the AFN chief, and the people wanted. Uh, 
a day where they could celebrate. So they chose March 31st, 1989. And at that time, it was declared the Aboriginal language was official uh, language day. It is to design and promote appreciation for native languages. This day has been set aside to encourage native people to recognize and practice their languages in their workplace or in a social setting. Declaration of National Aboriginal Language Day. Aboriginal language days are birthright. It's a uh, language is essential to culture. Aboriginal language is an asset. Aboriginal control of languages is essential. Aboriginal languages are just as equal as English and French. Actually, we should have our own uh, celebration of our language because language, Nishnabim uh, went right across Canada. Many from many different tribes used their own languages. Uh, they, but the official language is English and French. So we should demand that the, uh, our language should be one of the three official languages. And, and it's going to be really good because we are in a process that the language um, is going to be put in the legislation, which I am participating next week uh, in AF for AFN. Uh, is what are we going to put? Something like truth uh, and reconciliation. It's an empty shell, but we want to put in there from the Native people what is it that we want to be essential, what do we want to have right in the legislation for the languages. And so we have now have a big, huge chance in order to say what we want in our languages in the legislation. Excellent. Um, just a couple of notes that I picked up while you guys were talking. Uh, I didn't know there was March 31st was Indigenous Language Day. That's good to know. Um, I'll keep that in mind for future years. Uh, and also to pass on to other people that, you know, that will be of interest to them, including my children and family. And also, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm sure you know about this. Uh, the United Nations has declared this decade from 2021 to 2031 as a decade of Indigenous languages. Just a piece of information. I uh, just uh, appreciated uh, listening to everything, uh, though I did in particular enjoy the story about uh, you want $5,000 for that photograph. Well, I'm going to learn how to take them myself. Yes. <laughs> we all got to be photographers in order to make our own materials because there is no materials for language speakers as to how we want them. So if we have the skill of taking our own pictures and then we can tell a story behind that. Uh, thank God now we have what they call it, uh, iPhones now where we can record. Um, we, we can do a recording of our own stories and uh, describe what, uh, what we see. Uh, it's really fun uh, to do that and to make our own materials and that. I'm a self-publisher uh, a few years ago when I started because I did uh, my MA on research on, on Manitoulin dialogue. And at that time, I wanted to publish it. I went to publishers and the publisher said, there's no money economically, uh, you know, in publishing native languages. So that was the end of it. So I went to the elders and the elders said, oh, well, 
why don't you learn how to be a publisher? And I thought about it, oh, that's so, so many things that you have to learn. But anyway, I went to learn how to be self-publisher. So we publish our own, at least I am anyway, our own stories, uh, you know, to, to be used in schools, like thematic uh, dictionary, stories about on deck, stories about my early life so that uh, um, uh, I just got a word just yesterday, one of my friends who, who read a story of what I what I experienced as a child uh, about the good story. And she told that to her class that they, I think they were uh, six or seven years old. Uh, she told a story to those kids really loved that story because they didn't make the scone after. They said they bought uh, biscuits. It looked like, uh, so they pretended it was gone. So that's uh, uh, what they experienced was uh, something, what they heard in the story, how that impacted them. You can look uh, at goodminds.com. This is where I have a list of books that I've made. And on that note, uh, I wanna thank you for taking the time. You both have a wealth of knowledge and experience uh, in, in your work and, and your contribution to this project enhances the success of this project. And it's the first time we've had two people, you know, uh, such as yourselves speaking to us together on this podcast. All the others were individuals and this has been really interesting and made a, you made a big contribution to the success of this project. And I want to thank you for the great work you're doing in, in preserving the Ojibwe language and thank you very much on behalf of Legacy Hope Foundation. Miigwech.